James, you've just come straight off the Thirsty Bitch podcast yeah. and you're doing Now the Shares of Gay. It's like a tour. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Very privileged. <laughs> Now, we've known each other for quite some time. Uh, I only know you, actually, as an adult entertainer and an escort, but um, that's not where the story's going to start. We're going to go all the way back to when you was a child, when you were the age of 10, where I want you to tell your story. Okay, so um, my my dad has two sisters. Um, one of them, she had some back problems, and she went on holiday, and she tragically passed away. She had an accident. She was swimming in the ocean, her back locked. And then she passed away in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. And that was while she was on holiday. But back in England, my dad's other sister was pregnant with twins. So once the family heard the news that my aunt had passed away, um, kind of sent ripples through my whole family. It was really tough to deal with. My aunt, who was pregnant, miscarried one of her twins that she was carrying. Um, There was a lot of family things that had to be dealt with. So my aunt, pregnant at the time, was supporting my nan to do everything. When my aunt had her baby, um, she did slip into like a postnatal depression. But then because she was also depressed because her sister had just passed away, she kind of just spiraled really far. Um, She ended up doing a lot of crazy things and a a lot of things as a 10-year-old boy, I didn't really understand what she was doing and why she was doing it. Um, she would she would go to random areas in London and call my gran up at like three o'clock in the morning and say I'm lost I'm hurt I need some help, and my nan would be really stressed in and she wouldn't really know what to do. She'd be calling my mum and my dad and you know as as a young child I was hearing all of this stuff happening and I I just didn't understand because my aunt was somebody who was very 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 attractive. She was g- glamorous. She was very popular. And then all of a sudden, all of these problems started happening around her. Somewhere in between that got uh, the diagnosis of um, multiple sclerosis, um, which affects not the side that's going to affect her mobility, but it affects her brain functions. I never really understood what it was. They just told me she's not well, she's going to hospital. Mm. She's behaving strangely. She's doing weird things. And then my first experience seeing her in the the hospital, my mum took me to the ward. And this one time I'd gone to visit her and she gave me a, a handful of bangles um, like what a lady would have on her wrist. Okay. Oh, yeah. And um, she told me to put them in my pants. And then when I go home later, I give them to my nan because they're gold and, and she just got them. And I didn't know where she got them from. And it transpired through that visit that she'd stolen them from another um, patient. And then she told that patient that she had swallowed them. Wow. And the patient had believed her that she'd swallowed them. And then looking at my aunt thinking, but I've got these bangles in my pants, but you're telling this woman that she swallowed them and the woman's believing you. But it was quite frightening. And, you know, to, to be a young boy, to see these these people with various mental health needs mm. roaming around the wards and, you know, just believing anything that gets told to them. But did, did you, was you aware of all this as a 10 year old, what was going on? No, I didn't know what was happening. It was overwhelming, wasn't it? Yeah, and once she came out of hospital, she then continued doing some more crazy things. Um, my my cousin, who she she did um, give birth to, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin, who so. she yeah, who, who she did have, um, she was living with us, and so there was a whole lot of fight for her, and it wasn't necessarily safe for my cousin to go back to her mum. She yeah. did go back to her mum which didn't really end very well because a few years later, her dad intervened and took her away from her mum. And from, I think, the age of 10 years old, my cousin had lived with her dad now and she's grown up with her dad and my aunt's been on her own. Right. My aunt's now been put through the system and she's now in a supported uh, arrangement with the local council. And that's what it is now? That's where she is now. Mm. Um, but the problem is now that they still query her mental health they don't know what her mental health is they now query her ms they're now querying everything because they're saying that maybe the doctors back in the day was wrong and so now all of her diagnoses are all up in the air again so she doesn't even really know what's wrong with her all she knows is that she has mental health but throughout her time there's been talk of like um personality disorder bipolar 
Um, there's been some other things as well for her, but they've never been able to pinpoint what it was. So meanwhile, feeding her with drugs? Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so I remember one time she used to have a whole bo- bo- fruit bowl full of medications that the doctors had given her and she would just grab a handful and just take them. <laughs> My mum would say, like, what What did you just take there? And she'd be like, I don't know, but the doctor said I should take it, so I took wow. it. Uh, and I don't think that helped her because obviously that is a, a medication that's um, reacting with your the chemicals in your brain. Mm-hmm. So then if you're somebody who has that problem already and you're just taking the wrong dose at the wrong time and, you know... Yeah. It, it, it really just spiraled out of control for her. And yeah, then that was me as a, as a young child. Then I, I got taken away from it. But was this your earliest memory of yeah. your childhood? Was your auntie being like a focal point of your family? And well, my family was a very, very close-knit family. So when my aunt went on holiday and passed away, that was the, the catalyst that set my family to dissolve. Yeah. Um, my grandfather shortly after passed away of lung cancer. Um, My two other uncles, they're kind of like alcoholics and didn't really help anything, so. But how does this affect you then? Because you've just just literally reeled off most of your relatives with having something that's obviously Mm. not quite as positive. So how has that affected you as a child growing up then? Well, as a child, I didn't understand it. But then as an adult, I just thought that was, you know, as an adult, I look at this TV show, Shameless, like we was chatting earlier, <laughs> and my family's literally like shameless, but they're so close-knit, but they're so crazy. And I never really understood anything was wrong growing up. But now, as an adult, I look back and I'm like, mm, that weren't right, this shouldn't have happened. And ah. then that logs in the back of my mind is the hereditary side of it all. You know, there's uh, alcoholism, substance abuse. Mm. I spoke a little bit on the first bitch about substance abuse and what I've been up to and what I've done. Yeah. Um, so I know that that's also within me. So for the mental health side of things, it, you know, it really, that's one of my main concerns. And it's one of the things that I try to keep on top of the okay. most for myself. But what, what would you do as kind of mental clen- cleansing to keep yourself... In, in, a, in a good good frame of mind? For me, it's all about talking. Um, I did go to a psychiatrist once and he s- wanted me to go into talking therapies, which had mm. a long waiting list. So my way around that was finding very close friends to talk to, um, my family, my mum, James. Um, and James is? James is my partner. He's sitting in the room behind me. <laughs> um, so he, yeah, he, he, he deals with a lot of things. And I think he's got the hardest job of all because he has to listen to me when I come back and I've had a difficult customer, yeah. client. Okay, and I'm yeah. like, you know, this guy's just done this. This guy's, you know, tied me up here, tied me up there. Yeah, by but client, we were, we were talking about your escorting. Yeah, or your, escorting, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or okay. if I've done like a particularly hard porn scene or something. And, you yeah. know, he needs to be aware that there's times when I need space and yeah. that, you know, not everything is going to always be so full on. Mm. Um, because, you know, recently when I just did a couple of scenes, well, I did five scenes in one day, it kind of yeah. did take a lot out of me. I'm not surprised. Um, <laughs> it, I, I didn't really talk to anybody for a, a good two days after. Why is that? It was, I just needed my own space. It was very taxing, the, the scenes. Um, they're quite heavy BDSM scenes. Okay. And, you know, being tied up and pushed around. And it was just like, I just didn't want to talk to anybody. I just needed some time on my own and just to... Okay. Was it more as an exhaustion thing? Or was it like you need mental clarity over what's just happened? Or? Yeah, it was a little bit of both, really. Because obviously when you're doing certain scenes, people are uh, using certain words and they're saying certain stuff to you. Yeah. So you have to really take time back and think, remi- remind yourself that it's just acting. What you've done in that scene was acting and they don't actually really mean it. And that's not really who you are and what you are. Ah, you're doing okay. you're doing the performance. But, you know, there's always some kind of re- residual energy that, you know, in the back of your mind, someone's just said that to me. Is it true? Is it true? Oh, so what they're <laughs> saying in a BDSM might be yeah. something that you'd consider negative. They might yeah, be picking it, on something. Yeah, I mean, like, again, growing up gay and everyone calling you faggot and this and that. And, I mean, the, gay, the guys that I was doing the scene with, they're obviously gay guys and they're mm. doing it. But, you know, when they call you faggot and batty boy and all of this, all of that, just the derogatory humiliation yeah, stuff. Yeah. And just to kind of get over that, you know what? It's the humiliation for the porn scene. And there's a time and a place for it. And I do 
enjoy it. Yeah. I wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. But then I also need to just remind myself that, you know, it is just that one moment. That's yeah. not actually who I am and what I always do. Well, we all know that gay is not what you always did because <laughs> no. you wasn't always gay, was you? So, no, I wasn't. Uh, I'm not a platinum guy. <laughs> you know, I've heard about this. Pl- platinum gay is when you fall out your mother's vagina. Is that is that correct? Fall out a mother's vagina straight onto a man's Oh, C-section. You, you don't touch the vagina. Uh, so there's platinum, which is a C-section, so you're nowhere near woman's foo-foo. Oh, okay. Maybe James Oh, no, well, my mum did push me out. She had an actual birth. Oh, did she? So, you, so you're a gold gay, perhaps a gold gay? She likes to tell me that I was a nine-pound baby, so is I was like... Heavy? think so i was natural <laughs> and i've been with a woman so yeah so, so you've not always worked in poland that this this whole woman thing started when you was working in care homes mm, because yeah. you, you were dealing with end of life were you yeah i was doing end of life care um elderly people with learning disabilities and i was working with a lady she was just um two years older than me um shortly after we was working together it was a whole thing of being a a, a good looking guy in the industry and you know the girls chat oh he's gay this and that and that oh yeah and then you know i guess some of them fancy me and th- they, they just wanted to try and push it to see how far and what would happen <laughs> well this one particular girl pushed me are you gay are you gay no i'm not gay are you gay are you gay i was like no i'm not so then how did i prove it to her was by kissing her then ultimately having sex with her um, but when you say her it's not just any old her she's an authority figure she was your boss yeah but you know, she's just two years older oh, yeah. than me. It's not like... <laughs> no, that's not... <laughs> she could have been two years younger. The fact is she was your boss at the time. Well, yeah, there is that. But at the same time, you can't help with who you fall in love with. And when you fall in love okay. with them, can you really? No, no. Um, it happens within loads of industries. They tell you not to fall in love with or not to date your colleagues. But okay. people do still date colleagues. And yeah, yeah. It does happen. And when you're of a similar age group and... The thing with me and her was that we'd spend a lot of time together looking after the clients in the hospitals like with their various needs because of their disabilities. Mm-hmm. So we'd always spend a lot of time and then we'd go for a drink after or something. So we was quite close anyway. Yeah. Um, and then it just got to one night. She push, kept pushing me, pushing me. and I think you pushed her, no? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's more, more like... More like well, me. yeah, in the end, I did end up giving her the push, the old hee-hi, because <laughs> <laughs> so she actually proposed to me on um, Leap Day. Wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wanted to be different. Um, so, yeah, she, she proposed to me. We was engaged for probably about three or four years. And then that was coming to the end of my relationship, to be honest with you, because I'd always had the the notion that I was um, fluid okay. with my sexuality, okay. um, that I'd always had an attraction towards guys. I'd probably watch a little bit of porn here and there. Probably, what do you mean probably? You either know <laughs> you don't know. It's not a probable. Yeah, well, all right, yeah, I did. So, um, yeah, and I'd probably be a bit more interested in the guys and what the guys were doing in the scene than more so the women. Mm. Um and then I ended up finding Grindr, meeting up with quite a few guys, and then realizing ultimately that I was more comfortable in one man's bed than I was in my bed with her, and that mm. things had to change because I still feel like there was a lot of my life that I had to explore. And if I was to go and get married, then it would have been very settled down. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I was ready for it. And it scared me. Um, and then at that time, I was also having trouble with my aunt. Um, because she was dating a guy who was from uh, another country and he was looking to get with her to have a baby so he could have a visa. So my aunt had had, had a a time um, from being sectioned and being out and around and living her life and she got to where she was. She was in a care setting at that time. Mm. Then she met up with this guy. So I was trying to really support her being in my role in the care world. I had a good knowledge of who to talk to what to talk about and yeah. where to go so i was really supporting her but every corner i turned she put a different hurdle up in my way every yeah. time i tried to stop something happening she would go and do something else and it got to a point when me supporting her was affecting my mental health because everything i tried to do i was doing wrong i couldn't do it um mm. It wasn't that I was doing it wrong. It was just that she would go off and do it. We, Our relationship turned from being uh, an aunt and a nephew to me being more like the adult and her being the teenager. Yeah. 
and it was just so taxing and so hard for me to deal with because I'd worshipped the ground she walked on as a ch- when I was a little boy. She was my favourite. Mm. Yeah. And then to see her go through the, the mental hospitals um, and then land herself in this situation, I found it very hard. And I found myself in a dark place. And I went and spoke to my GP about it. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he spoke to me and told me that he believes I have a bit of depression and I should go on sertraline. So I went on, well, not searching straight away. I went yeah. on antidepressants, and then I ended up on that particular one. Um, was it, was this around the time you was you was engaged? And yeah, and I was engaged. So I was very, I was in a very weird place because I was trying to care for my aunt. Mm. I was trying to explore my sexuality, and I'm also about to get married. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of things going on in, in in my head at that time, and I just didn't really know which way to turn and what to do. And then the 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 uh, the advice of going on to some medication was that a, a good choice? To yeah, do? I mean, it was good for the moment, for the time. It it, it helped. It really did help. But they also um, prescribe it in courses of months. Well, they like to do it in months, and they told me that I was going to be on it for six months. Right. Um, oh. But I think some people get left on it for a long, long, longer time. Um, it helped, but then what didn't help was that I then started to misuse it and I would take too many tablets and then I'd drink too much uh, caffeine and get caffeine rushes and I'd be really crazy on it. And it just, again, I was just not knowing what to do. And I think that's where I was trying to mask the feeling. Mm. And, and I think that's where sex for me comes into it as well, because part of what I was doing with the boys was obviously experiencing, exploring my sexuality. Yeah. But I find for myself personally is when I'm engaging in a sexual activity or a sexual act with somebody, then that's like a, I've blotted out the whole world and it's just me and that one person. Mm-hmm. So everything else just dissolves and it goes away. So I think I was enjoying having sex with men and because okay. it was giving me a kind of um, a distraction, a kind of... Uh, a temporary fix. Yeah, from whatever else was happening, like, you know, me not wanting to get married. I wanted to get married. I've always wanted to get married. Mm. Um, but not to the, to her, yeah. unfortunately. Because, you know, I did love her. I did fall in love with her. But I did fall out of love with her. Yeah. Um, was having that hard time. And uh, I was on the medication. Mm. I was breaking up with her um, and it was just a really, really strange time. And once I broke up with her, I had to move back to my mum and dad's because I had a dog, I had a pug and I couldn't um, rent a place with a dog because the easiest option... Yeah, the easiest option is going to be like a house share, so that's fine. But can I really have just one room and a dog the dog's gonna need a garden it's Mm. gonna need the whole house so I had to move back to my mum's which weren't a bad choice I also found myself in a bit of debt as well so like the money worries was really bad um was this due to any factor yeah it was due because uh again trying to mask my behaviors and my feelings Mm. uh in the last few months of my relationship um I was doing a lot of cocaine so I'd spent I think three thousand pounds on cocaine within two months and that was literally my whole wedding savings so then i went and took a loan out to replace that um so then i had lost a lot of money just lost well i didn't lose money i used all my money Mm. and then i then had this money then i continued to use cocaine okay and then i found myself in debt so i had a big massive debt i'd just broken up with my fiance um the guy whose bed i felt comfortable in i turned to him and told him oh i've broken up i'm single now and he said well i hope you didn't do that to get with me so i think it was it wasn't necessarily a malicious thing i think like he knew that i was too eager to explore everything and he he he, i don't think he wanted to hold me back at that time um he he knew that I would still be his friend, would still be chatting and everything like that, but it just weren't the right thing. And I think, you know, looking at it now, our personalities are very different. Mm. Um, so. But did you feel rejected when he said that? I did know? feel rejected. I felt really rejected because in my head, yeah, I did break up with her to get with him. Oh, <laughs> oh really? Well, I f- there would hopefully be a hope. Yeah. But um, no, it just, it, it, it wasn't right. And to be fair, he, he, was, he made the right call because... I 
I shouldn't, you sh I don't think you should really go from one serious relationship into another relationship. Mm -hmm. And I needed time as a person. I hadn't come out at this point and I needed time to really understand what I was, who I was, yeah. where I wanted to go. Um, I didn't come out to anybody apart from my cousin who was the daughter of my aunt who passed away. Yeah. Um, Cause my aunt was a lesbian and I felt very close to her and my cousin also. We was more like brother and sisters more than yeah. cousins. I explained to her that I need to get some money and you know, uh, I broke up with my fiance, I'm bored, I wanna have sex, I was finding it difficult. And she suggested to, I suggested to her escort in and then she was like, yeah, do it, do it. I'll tell you a secret. I'm an escort. So I was oh. like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then she told me some websites that I signed up to and she also looked into the gay escorting world within London and found- For you? For me. Okay. Um, found a place for me to go and work, a massage parlor. Um, so I was working there escorting. Mm. Um, and everything was fine, you know, she was like my, my mentor in a way in, yeah. into the escorting world and you know i could talk to her i felt very comfortable with her we went on holiday and um she was asking me to go and grind her to hit up the gay party scene to to get her cocaine and um, to get her other drugs standard. which i did and <laughs> um yeah i made quite a lot of good friends out there um from grinder from Grinder, yeah, I'm still friends with them today. Um, I still talk to them frequently. You still order from them? <laughs> no, I mean, they don't do mail order. <laughs> but um, no, we, we do still talk, me and my friends in Benidorm. Um, but the sad thing is that I don't talk to my cousin no more because once we come back from that trip, she then continued to make demands and want me to go and do this, want me to, I don't know, like, just do things for her, go and get more drugs and just be like her little slave really like her little skivvy and mm. i was just when i put my foot down and told her no she was like no you will do it or i'm gonna tell your mum what you was doing on grinder i'm gonna tell your mum that you're doing this and you're doing that you know i'm a very open person mm. and i don't like the idea of people blackmailing so what i will do is if i know that that's what you're gonna do is i'll go and out myself straight away yeah. so that night after she said that to me i let her go to sleep and then that killed her yeah, I let her go and got the pillow. <laughs> no, I literally... And that's the end of this story. Waited for her to go to sleep, and then I packed my bags, and then I left. I got. I was in Liverpool. She lived in Liverpool, so I, I got the train to Liverpool Lime Street, uh, the taxi to Liverpool Lime Street, yeah. and then I got the train home. I remember being in the Weatherspoons at Liverpool Lime Street. Mm. I ordered a breakfast and then I thought to myself, right, you're gonna have to do this because she's gonna wake up any moment and yeah. all hell's gonna break loose. So I ordered my breakfast, I sat there, got my phone, called my mum, to, told her, I was like, mum, I'm coming home early. She was like, why are you coming home early? We've had a fight, it's not right, I don't like it. She's using me, she's taking mm. a piss and there's something I need to tell you. And she was like, what's that? And I started crying and she was like, you're scaring me, what's wrong? And oh. I said, nothing's wrong. It's, I just need to tell you that I'm gay. And I'm telling you this because if I don't tell you this, she's threatening to tell you because I don't want to do something for her. And my mum just said, you know what, don't be so silly. It's not a problem. Just stop crying, mm. dry your eyes, get on the train, come home and we'll talk about it when you get home. So in that moment, then I then called my dad, told my dad, and he said, okay, fine, we'll discuss it when you get home. Okay. Sent my brother a text message. <laughs> so none of this in person then? No. Wow, brave. Um, well, I guess that was, it, it, it was kind of like a little bit of a defense. It was a little bit of a wall, wasn't it? It was a little bit, a little bit more of a shield for me to do it over the phone. Yeah. Although I did speak to my mum and dad. I yeah. texted my brother. It didn't make much difference. My brother just didn't reply. Yeah, yeah mum was <laughs> like, all right, whatever. But it must um, have been hard for your dad because you said you, when you were growing up, he was saying, oh, don't hold your mm. hand, limp misted. Yeah, yeah. I'd always have that kind of typical shame growing up. Um, in the effeminate ways, don't mm -hmm. hold your hands like that. My dad would call me a fairy, he'd call me a poof. Um, yeah, my, <laughs> he, he would just like be a little bit, you know, the stereotypical 90s male towards a gay. Yeah. Like, it wasn't nasty and he's always, my dad loves me. And I think my dad sees a lot of me, him in me. Mm. Um, 
he 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 really likes the fact that I'm very outgoing and that I I'm a go getter. If I want something, I will go and get it, and yeah. I will try fight to for now for what I believe in, which is what my dad is. Um, but when I went home and told them face to face, they was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, what took you so long? What was that whole oh. thing with her? Why was you engaged for so long? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I was kind of expecting a big kind of shunning, like they was not gonna like me and they weren't gonna, they weren't gonna accept me anymore and I weren't gonna be there. Mm. Because like you say, from how verbally my dad had been growing up, yeah. we'd walk down the street and if there was somebody that he knew was, um, I don't know, gay or or slightly queer or or a little bit different. He would tell me, "Watch out for that mm. one. Don't go too near him." Yeah. Public toilets. As a child, I was told never go in them. Don't go. Don't go nowhere near there because little boys get things happening to them in there. And it, that, that, I mean, well, that was that association with the gay side. Or yeah, was that that was just gays. I think oh, it was okay. gays, paedophiles trying to protect me. Yeah. Um, but also it was. You know, you you don't need to say certain things. Like, my dad would always call my aunt a lesbian. He'd call her like an Elizabethan, and he would just say really derogatory things yeah. towards her being a lesbian, which I never really understood what a lesbian was. Yeah. All I knew. I don't think anyone does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my burning questions as a child was I really was going to ask her like, how do lesbians have sex? Because yeah. As a little boy, you get told the willy goes in the vagina and yeah. that's how yeah. babies are made and that's sex. But we were having a chat earlier about how that the, the, the positive side of sex is only if you're reproducing. Like all the kind yeah. of work you're doing now is not really classed as it's yeah. taboo really. So it? yeah, what I'm doing now is taboo. It's um, when you really look at prostitution, prostitution is the oldest form of trade yeah. in the world. As humans, we've always traded it. Um, why it's a, it's a sex is kind of like a basic human need. So we mm. understand that a man or a woman can masturbate to relieve some sexual tension. Yeah. But why is it that a man or a woman cannot hire somebody to fulfill a sexual need? Well, we need to end the stigma around it because yeah. we were talking off, off microphone about how in your line of work, you are kind of seen as this product. You know, someone's yeah. paying you and then no matter what they say to you, they have a right because you're, you're the purchase. Yeah, and you know, I mean, one one of the things is we we are, us working boys. We are boys. We are humans. We are mm. you know boys, men, whatever label you want to put on it. Um, but yeah, I've I've been with a client before, and I haven't necessarily been hard. And he's telling me, "Oh, you're not hard." Da 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 da. I've bought a service. This is this is mm. what I'm expecting, and I'm like. Well, let me just correct this for you because what yeah. you've actually purchased is my time. Yeah. And what we're doing within my time is up to two consenting adults. Yeah. Um, I know that's the cliche that a lot of people say, but in my head, really, that is what it is. Oh, so what? The legal so side of it, yeah. should I stay, okay, you want a blowjob. So, okay, blowjob, 15 quid, right? How big's your dick? If your dick's more than two inches i want 40 quid if your dick's if your dick's more than two inches fucking hell what do you go with there's some little boys out there <laughs> but then you say oh your dick's your you've got a 10 inch dick okay so i'm gonna need 100 quid from you for that so yeah, yeah. You, you, you hack i don't see how you can charge per sexual act so mm. if you if you want to meet me and we'll discuss what we're gonna do through it. We'll discuss as two adults what feels comfortable for you, what feels comfortable for me, what yeah. would you hope to get from it, what I'm willing to provide. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're not robots. You can't just push a button and get the boner or flick a switch and then yeah, come yeah. instantly. You know, we do need a little bit of work. And I think sometimes what people see is the the stereotypical porn, rough sex, hardcore, mm. and they think that that's what it always is. And it's fantasy for people. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what we were saying earlier. Like, mm. I do understand that by doing this work, I am selling a fantasy. Like, mm. I not I'm thinking I am a fantasy, but like to certain guys to get with me, they they enjoy it, they dreamed about it, they've spent their hard-earned money on it. Yeah. So I need to remember that I'm providing the fantasy for them, that they're enjoying this, and that I need to put their needs above mine in a certain way. But also, I do still need to be respected, and I think some of the guys forget that. Some yeah. of the guys that we work with, um, 
my ex-boyfriend, knowing that I, I, I escort, I was gonna go and see him over uh, the Christmas period. Mm. Um, but things weren't quite right. And so when I um, got there, he, he t then told me that he had other friends over. Okay, fine, but that weren't really what I was expecting. It wasn't what I wanted. Um, of the evening, I wanted to just chill out and have a couple of drinks with him and just catch up and just chill. But it turned out that it was going to be a big party. But okay, cool, I'll deal with it. And then I got to his house. I, he has a, uh, a buzzer. He lives in a flat. So I just walked straight through, knocked on the door. He didn't answer. I texted his phone, didn't answer. So I was like, okay, fine. I stood there for 15 minutes, mm. knocked on the door again. I was like, still no answer. Right. I had a hard customer that day. And I just didn't really want to put up with more shenanigans and things going on. So I decided to leave. And then when I was leaving, he told me, are you disappointed that you're not earning money? Would you rather me pay you 200 pounds? If I pay you 200 pounds, will you come back? That's and I'm like, I won't come in for money. And you know, sometimes you, the, the guys need to realize that yeah, us escorts and porn guys, we are still gonna go and have sex with people for money, but then don't put on it that you're expecting the big porn show, you're expecting the big thing because I'm actually gonna be probably having more personal sex with you. It'll probably be mm. more emotional sex. And that's something like what James understands is that yeah. with me and him, we have more of an emotional connection. He's there, I'm not saying he's there to pick up my pieces, but he's there to, for me, for my emotional sounding board, for me, you know, to tell yeah. him I'm feeling like this, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking that. And he'll tell me, no, you know, look at it in a different light look at it in this way this is what you're thinking and this is what i'm seeing and okay, so he will kind of help, help me understand and see it and he'll also understand you know that if i've gone out and i've been working hard for the week or so that i will want my space and that i won't want him yeah. to be there or i might want to go home and have a cuddle or something or so you know, let, let's talk about this then because you, you're in a relationship with james and mm. you've been doing uh adult entertainment for quite some time now so you, you met James only in the last few years. Mm, yeah. How, how has, has he coped with the fact that you're doing escorting and the adult well, industry? Well, the thing was with me and him is that we he met me in a cruising club. Okay. So <laughs> he was working the club. He was working on the door. And he was also arranging to do the live sex shows at the club. Yeah. So James saw me walking around, shagging around, and then pulled mm -hmm. me and said, hey, do you want to go on stage? And I was like, no, because everyone's going to watch me having sex. At that moment in my life, I was just an escort. I hadn't done no porn. And I was just, no. you know, it could be easily swept under the carpet. Nobody knows who I yeah, was. Yeah, and I was like, no, everyone's going to see it. And then he said to me, no, well, do you know what? I just saw you fucking in the sling. And then you oh. flipped over and then you got fucked in the sling. And then you just done this and you've just done that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Everyone's already seen it. He's <laughs> having a good old stare, wasn't he? <laughs> and, and then my next question was, okay, how much do you pay? Um, and drinking, the pay man. was quite good for the amount of time that it was. Um, and I enjoyed doing it. It was fun. Yeah. Fun while it lasted. Um, I think certain pressures that I put on myself mm. caused me to pull out from doing so many live shows towards okay. the end because I did, I was doing quite a lot. Uh, I was um, quite a good uh, model, I think. I think I did yeah. quite a good show. I'd have a lot of feedback. And we got a nod from James over there. There'd be yeah. a few round of applause after the big explosions and whatnot, so <laughs> the comes and all of that. Um, <laughs> but what what put gets put on your head is that, you know, is your, you, you, you test your own self-worth and then your own self-esteem comes into yeah. it because, you're, you're getting put on stage, and I was paired with uh, lovely people all the time. Like, I would n never n never paired with anybody that I didn't get on with or didn't mm -hmm. want to have sex with. That was not a problem. But then when you start looking at the other performers and you're thinking, okay, I've done this so many times now, how can I elevate it? How can I make it different? So you look at the other performers, and then you're like, oh, hang on, they've all got beards, they've all got tattoos, they've all got muscles. Yeah. I don't have a beard, I don't have no tattoos. I'm toned, but I'm not muscular. Yeah. Um, so then it kind of made me start questioning my worth. Why am I there? What am I here for? And then, you know, once you start getting into your head, then things start unraveling. And then, yeah. you know, boners weren't happening when they were supposed to. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just the anxiety. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm versatile lover. Um, but I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to just bottom then. And then, you know, 
becoming a bottom becomes there's just issues around that you know constantly yeah. cleaning out making sure that the stage is going to be like a good show and you mm. know there's other things and then I just really built myself up with a lot of anxieties and so I, I withdrew from that I still keep an eye on it uh, I understand although at the minute it's yeah everything's asleep everything's dormant because of corona mm -hmm. but I, th I think you know once we do um get back to a certain state of normality it would be something that I'd be interested in looking back into doing yeah. again maybe not as intense as what I was doing mm. but it's something um that is still exciting it's a little bit of a rush it's a little bit it ticks the exhibitionist box in my in, in me um and it's fun you know to be in a nightclub and just to, to let loose and just get, get get on with it really do you see having that break in the coronavirus has helped you like re take restock of your life because i know that not long before coronavirus i'd heard a few rumors about your shenanigans <laughs> what you were getting up to from <laughs> a mutual friend so did, did you think that that stop with coronavirus has helped you take yeah stock definitely of your life? i mean what you're referring to I believe would be my um drinking which came from a place of um anxiety again what yeah. I found with drinking was that I could mask my inner demons and they weren't so loud and they weren't so vocal but then once you I got drunk to a certain level the the muteness didn't work and then it turned into they had a megaphone and then I would just go off the rails mm. um James had to pick up quite a few of those pieces um put me back on the track um, but yeah, I, I, I got arrested. I've got kicked out of clubs. I've been banned from clubs. I, I and such such an innocent face. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but right. that's the problem, you see. When you're 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 feeling certain ways and you're feeling anxieties and you're masked it with alcohol and then maybe other substances and then mm. you know your inhibitions are gone. So then, what you would have normally done in a normal way is more exaggerated yeah um and yeah it just kind of spiraled out of control so the what happened i ended up getting arrested from slapping a bouncer i paid a fine for that <laughs> that sounds funny then i had to go to um the hospital speak to the psychiatrist about my behavior because i felt things were escalating right from just being drunk to arguing to slapping a bouncer to Getting arrested. That should be a t-shirt, shouldn't it? Slapping the bouncer. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then I stopped drinking after, shortly after that because there was a, one more incident when I was in a club and I was falling out of the club and I was... Uh, I, I, I was representing one of my friend's academies and I just don't think I represented it very well because of my behaviour being so drunk. No. And it really shamed me because I feel like I let him down. Um, it was a body painting job so okay. I was like more or less just in my pants and they'd body painted me all over but the person had spent a good two hours painting me and I got so drunk caused a little bit of a scene and then oh. disappeared so it's like a soap opera this isn't it? yeah so after that that's when I stopped yeah. drinking and but do you know the root of this problem the, the, root the, the whole root because you said that you abused antidepressants you've been drinking you got I mean, there must have been some kind of route. Does this stem from the 10-year-old boy that saw all his family go through stuff? Or probably. the gay side of the things? Or accumulation stuff? So I, well, as, as a child, I didn't even tell you this earlier, but as a child, um, through my whole childhood, uh, there was a lot of domestic violence. My dad beating up my mum. Right. Um, and there was a lot of things like that. And I think that's as a child, that's what I learned, that... Um, when there's something that is challenging and you don't know how to express it, from my dad's point of view, was just to fight and just to hit out and lash out. And I think that's what I picked up. And then I also picked up from my family substance misuse. Right. Um, like I say, my aunt, my uncles. Um, and then I didn't understand the connection between masking your feelings with the substances, alcohol, drugs, mm. prescriptions, whatever, and to the correlation which brings into the wider mental health, where is if you're feeling one certain way and then you're doing something, medicating yourself to counteract your feelings, mm. ultimately you're messing with the chemicals in your brain and your, your um, body's functions 
Um, so you're not going to do yourself any favors by trying to mask your feelings with the yeah. alcohol or the drinks. It's going to come back tenfold. And you'll probably further down become more depressed um, because the drink and the drugs are uh, uh, the depressants, really. Yeah. The, they take you so high, and then when you get so low, you're feeling even lower than what you was feeling low then. Yeah. So then that was like, you know, when things of self-harm comes into it, when I start feeling not worth it, like you don't want to get out of bed. And um, yeah. I haven't gone down the, the self-harm road for, for, for a long, long time because I didn't like the impact that it gave the other people. They could see something visibly was wrong with me. Yeah. When physically there isn't, that there's emotional trauma, mm. but not physical. So I don't want people coming to me saying, why is your arm cut? Why is this, why is that? I'd rather people ask me, how am I feeling? And really un listen to me and then try and work through what did what you my Did issue you find is. it shameful having cut arms? Yeah, you did. I did, yeah. So the difference between being visible and people seeing it and having the same mental effects, but just in your mind, there was a difference between these? Well, when I did it, the only time that released the emotional trauma in me was as I was blotting out, just keep cutting, keep cutting. Mm. Like, they they didn't link in together for me. No. Um, and it just gave me a feeling of now I've got this cut on my arm and now people can see it and now I have to hide it and now this is another worry that I've got to worry about. Yeah. Um, I, I w I'm not going to say that I was the, the most um, serious self-harmer. It was something that I wanted to try because a friend had spoken to me about her experiences. Painting something you try. You know, hang gliding something you're trying to. It's like... Yeah, but, you, you know, we all... We, you know, if... Say you're having a hard night to sleep yeah. and then someone says to you, oh, why don't you have a nightcap? Why don't you just have a little shot of mm. this? And... The, my friend didn't tell me, oh, you're having this tra trauma. Why don't you try cutting yourself? Right, it was okay. more I'd seen her doing it. And I'd said, why are you doing that? And she, so you'd physically, you'd I'd seen, seen her, her do it. Yeah. And I said, why are you doing that? Why do you do this? Okay. Like, and she told me that she had her problems, which is not for me to go into. And that was the way that she blots it out. And she, it's, it's a release for her. She does it while she's doing that. She's not thinking about the the other side of what her problems are um and i didn't quite understand what she meant and how she like i just really didn't really get it um yeah. but i thought that if it was helping her and then it was also it was on the tv it's not the same self-harm isn't the same as trying a drug it's not the same as right. you know just just try this it is also a, a compulsion, like it's something that pe those people who do self-harm, they feel compelled to do it. And so they have cut themselves and then they still pick their scabs. And it's like a, an obsessive compulsive disorder yeah, okay. in some, some respects. Right, okay. So where they felt that release and then they crave that release then more, don't they? So they just, for that one moment, like for me, that one moment of cutting wasn't, didn't fulfill my need of, my escape for yeah. my emotional trauma um through that harm they're also releasing something which is, is is not known to me i couldn't understand that yeah have you learned tools to cope with it because you said you don't you won't take antidepressants anymore no um what i do is when I <laughs> he doesn't know about this <laughs> but um i've got my little twitter diary which <laughs> i am um, right on when i'm feeling anxious mm -hmm. um I might sit there at night and just write a little tweet or if something happens in the day and I'm really super angry about it, I'll just write it down. It's private? Yeah, it's completely private. It's got no pictures on it. It's got nothing on it. It's just literally just my words. No one will ever find yeah. it. It's not even under any name that anyone would ever find. Um, it's yeah. just there. It's just like my electronical diary because what I found by writing things down, it takes it out of your mind, but then by writing it down on the paper... It gave me an anxiety that somebody might find that book. Yeah, yeah. So Completely. I just didn't really yeah, want yeah. that there. And, yeah. you know, it, I can delete that file. I can delete that page and no one sees it. No one, no one knows anything about it and didn't even ever exist. Yeah. But I can look back and read it. Um, I can see when I, I, I'm feeling bad and, you know, I can talk to James and say, you know, I'm feeling like this. How's, 
again, like I said, and he was telling me, no, mm. look, think of it in this way. Not stop thinking it like okay. that. You're seeing it in your tunnel vision. Like you're you, you're upset with it, and you're gonna try and run with it, but don't. Yes. Oh, the other thing I do on, sometimes is when I'm feeling really like built up, mm-hmm. and, and instead of like uh, cutting or something like that, ripping paper really fast. So I've got loads of, <laughs> I'm a hoarder in some respects. Yeah. I don't throw away my bank statements and, and letters. Okay, shred them. I don't, well, that's the thing, shred it by your hands. So when you're feeling oh, really angry right. and you're feeling really built up, shred, 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 shred as fast as you can. And it doesn't matter because it's just rubbish paper and then just, it the, it gives you a release. Like, because I feel so wound up sometimes and it's just like, you know when you just want to punch a wall or you just want to hit something and right. just grab my old bank statements and just shred them up. That's that's me. Oh. Um, I mean, this is, a, this is a great thing to talk about because we're not going down the, the chemical drug prescription route, which we know turns a lot of people into zombies. Yeah. So you're saying that you've got your private diary online, which is a bit like a brain dump, mm-hmm. yeah, and then you get your frustrations out by ripping mm-hmm. some paper. So these yeah. are tools that really you're really silly little thing, but it's... Um, also just taking time out to just to be on my own like I said earlier you know yeah. after I did that scene them scenes I, I took a good two days just to you know just chill just know that yeah. okay I am a porn star sometimes we do do things that are out of our comfort zone but we that's you know like the Ari- Ariana Grande song I made the decision to test my limits so okay, what I am mean, I going to be doing? And, and your parents didn't know. The other, other thing, because obviously <laughs> you just mentioned the two little yeah. two things, that then me being an oversharer. Is being an oversharer is, you know, talking to people. I'm quite happy to, to express myself. So again, talking to my mum, talking to James, talking to certain fam, yeah. friends and family, um, but also being mindful that certain things I might say to people, my opinions are my opinions, and it's not necessarily... Yeah, what they're they're feeling, um, but I need to be mindful of how I'm saying it, what I'm saying it, but be aware that there are people out there that will listen to you and that will yeah. be there, and that's the main thing. the The psychiatrist wanted me to go to talk therapy, so other than talking to strangers, I talk to my close friends and family. Yeah, but is that the same as talking to a stranger? Sometimes talking to a stranger is good because yeah. they're a non biased person. I think sometimes knowing people that know you very well. And I've known me from um, childhood, my mum, my brother, and a a few close friends have known me from childhood. James has known me from my whole transition from straight boy into the gay sex world. And he obviously had a helping hand in putting me into the gay sex world because had I not gone on to the stage at SBN, I wouldn't have met uh, certain performers who then put me Mm. forward through to porn. So there was a natural progression there, which he had hand in yeah so going back to what you said earlier as well he hadn't understands exactly what i am and who i am and what i'm doing because he was there from the yeah. start and he's seen me grow um well that's like a one in a million though because a lot of guys that won't be able to understand yeah well escorting porn your previous you know things that have happened to mm-hmm. you growing up and stuff so yeah I think that's a good, good, good find. What would you say to the people that are listening? I mean, and majority of people won't be working in the adult entertainment, but the whole thing we can take from this and the episode on Thirsty Bitch, which I hope people have heard, is uh, coping with your own mental health. I mean, you've got a family who genetically have have had some issues, yeah. and like my, and my family's as crazy as a bag of frogs. Mad as a bag of cats, were well, <laughs> But what, what what kind of advice would you give? Because not I, every family is yeah, ideal. Like everyone say, tries to make out. I would say to the guys out there, um, speak to your GP, speak to the wider health team, um, see what they're saying, let them guide you, but don't let that be the be all and end all because they they don't know you particularly as a person. They can guide you, speak to your close friends and family. I know some people, you know, where you work, some people, they have like quite close relationships with some colleagues, some bosses are really understanding. Um, Like we spoke in the first bitch about me being a care worker with the end of life. Yeah. Although my employment didn't provide counseling, my boss was there to talk to you through hard times. So, you know, sometimes employers are there to listen. Friends, my friends have been the biggest 
thing for me to lean on. Um, yeah. Do you, do you can I just ask, because a, a lot of people that are listening to this would not go to people that are close because when you admit there's a problem, they admit they've got a weakness, which is a false perception of people. Because we know now on TV, everyone's talking about mental health. How, how have you said, like, this is okay to talk to my friends to show that's, that side of because, you? Because, you know, at the end of the day, we all have these insecurities. We all have these problems. And it's the case of when we um, suppress them and we hold, hold them back, that's when they cause us cause us problems. If they don't want to... If you if don't want to talk to your, um, your friends and family, there mm. are, like, helplines that you can call. There's the LGBT switchboard you can talk. There's, yeah. like, the Samaritans you can call. And they're not going to necessarily know you as a person. They can give you sound yeah. advice. Um, I'm a very open person. And, you know, I, I just really live my life with the philosophy is what you see is what you get. Yeah. And if I'm feeling a certain way, I'm going to tell you I'm going to feel a certain way. And if you didn't really accept that or you don't want that in your life and you don't want to be near me, then that's fine. You don't need to be near me. And I'm quite happy mm. for that. I think the way that I deal with it is just being an open book and just oversharing, really. Yeah. But the problem is... But don't change from doing that. Yeah, no, I think... That, but the problem is, yeah. is that it's nice to share with people, even strangers, but mm -hmm. then, you know, you've got to be careful with what you're sharing and who, who you're sharing it with. Yeah. You'll find people, and once you find somebody... I, I would just say, don't be scared to express yourself. If you're feeling a certain way, don't be scared. Mm. It, it helps out there. Yeah. You'd be surprised. I mean, I was I didn't think my family would accept me as gay. They did. I yeah. uh, didn't think my family would be quite happy with James. They they were fine with him. The biggest problem is the dog barks at him when he comes in the ass. But James oh. shouts back out at the dog and the dog barks <laughs> back and then she pisses off. Everybody has the same anxieties. It's just be like we present them in a different way. Yeah. Um just be open and honest, I think. If you can't find anybody, then write a little diary log on Twitter like I did. Yeah. And then what you could do eventually is if things really do get bad, you could take that to the doctor. Say, yeah. look, this is what I've been writing. This is how I've been feeling. Like, mm. the doctor might not really want to listen to it, but you just have to be persistent. Yeah. Um, and if you are in the UK, uh, there is Gay Men's Therapy that offers some free sessions if you are uh, unemployed, claiming universal credit, etc., etc. James, would you like to give out your social media before you end? Yeah, sure. My Instagram is xxjamesbennettxx, and okay. I am James Bennett on Twitter. Fabulous. And if you want to hear more from James, then do check out the Thirsty Bitch podcast on all streaming services. Uh, this has been Shades of Gay and James. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me again. Thank you.